Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Gracious God, we're just thankful that um, sometimes we say things like new year, new me. But the good thing is that it's a new year, but it's the same old you. You're still the same God that created the heavens and the earth, that put breath in my lungs, that gives us precious promises that we can depend on. We cannot depend on the promises of men or the promises of our fathers or mothers or friends, but we can depend and rely on the promises of God. And so as we start off 2024, let us reorder our lives. Some people here today are looking back at 2023 and they're thinking about where God was. I wanna invite us today to reorder our lives and to set God as priority number one, above all else. Not simply out of obedience, but out of the preservation of our lives because it goes better with God than it does by myself. And so God, we come to you acknowledging March may change and April may change and the summer may come and I might need to reorder myself, but it makes a difference how I start my year off. And so it is with that in mind, Lord, we set you as priority number one. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Welcome here this morning. God bless you. Uh, thank you all for being here. I want to start off with just a uh, quick announcement. Uh, as I mentioned, starting the year off in the word of God, we will be starting a church-wide fast that will start, amen, It'll start on, uh, it'll actually start next Monday, so that'll be MLK Day. We'll be sending out information about it, all the details to it, but really we find that that 21-day fast is very helpful to get us prioritizing who God is in our lives. Now, one of the things that we're going to be focusing on in this fast is bearing fruit. In fact, it's called bearing much fruit. And when you think about bearing fruit, the, the truth is, is that in order for fruit to happen, it is this organic work where the seed begins to go into the ground and then all of a sudden a work is done and then we see the evidence of the seed. Well, the seed goes down and you don't see anything. You don't see anything in the tree, but over time you see fruit bearing. And we want to be a fruit bearing community where people see God in our lives. We don't want people to just know God is in our lives. We want to see the evidence of God in our lives. And that's what bearing much fruit is about. So that'll be a 21 day fast beginning next Monday. Amen. Well, today we're going to be starting off a series in the book of James, and it is a very practical book. Uh, you can title it a lot of different things, but we decided to come up with a wonderful title called the book of James. So uh, our creative team worked overtime on that one. Well, happy new year to you all. If I didn't get a chance to say it to you, happy new year. Some of you all we haven't seen in a couple weeks. And some of you all went back home to be with your family. I hope that was fun. Uh, for some of you, when I say you were with family, that excites you. It's, it's a fun thing. 
Some of you, you, you start to get you know, a little bit of anxiety going home. Family and your origin story does something to you. It makes you happy, it makes you sad. It stresses you out, it pumps you up. But everybody has an origin story, good, bad, or indifferent. And that origin story, if I were to sit down with you and ask you a little bit about your family, I would learn a lot about you, just for what you had to go through, or the benefits of being in that family. One of the things that we don't talk about enough in church is that Jesus comes from a family. He has an origin story, just like me and you. We, we of course, talk about his birth and Christmas. We talk about his life and the Gospels. We talk about the resurrection. We even talk about post-resurrection. But we don't talk enough about the time that he was coming up and how his family shaped him. We're going to start this series off by talking a little bit about Jesus' origin story because this book is written by his brother. The book of James is written by the brother of Jesus. And I'm going to really only cover one verse from the book. But once I get done unpacking their family history, you'll understand that one verse in a way you haven't before. Amen? Tension, weirdness, all throughout Jesus' life. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 3, something that you may not realize is that Jesus had four brothers. And Jesus, from what we can tell, had at least two sisters. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 3. It says, they're talking about Jesus. They say, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So we learn already that Jesus comes from at least a family of seven. And he was the oldest brother of that family of seven. He was a carpenter. His Joseph had been a carpenter, but from what we can tell from extra biblical resources, his father passed away most likely at an early age. So Joseph grew up in a home with just his mom, overseeing his siblings. And one of the things that's interesting learning about Jesus is at that time, you didn't have last names. So if you were to reference someone, you would say son of the father. But if you know anything about Jesus' story, you know that he was not birthed of Joseph. He was born of God. But the people didn't believe that story. They saw it as a betrayal. So I want you to notice right in the beginning the small diss there when they say son of Mary. Because that's a slight diss on the fact that they don't believe. You know, you know that ain't Joseph's baby, right? So, so understand already Jesus has this veneer. He has this idea of you not really legitimate. You're the illegitimate baby. All your brothers and sisters are more legitimate than you. Also, keep in mind that Jesus, before the age of 30, I know some of you all are not 30 yet. Some of you are beyond 30. Some of you are beyond beyond 30, praise God. But, but, what, but listen, until the age of 30, Jesus hadn't performed any miracles. 
Jesus was not known for teaching. His family didn't know him as a teacher, nor did they know him as a miracle worker. He did not have a reputation. Now, obviously his mom kind of encouraged him at some point to turn water into wine and that first miracle. But what we can tell his brothers and sisters didn't have, have that belief about him. So I just want you to understand before we look at his family and we diss them, I just want you to know a uh, big brother, Jesus out there turning water into wine. He's walking on water. We ain't never see him do this at home. He's, he's got crowds of people and he's teaching all these people. We ain't never heard him break down the scriptures at home. He's just a carpenter like us. Because understand that families would operate in a family business. So if it was an agrarian family or agricultural family, uh, that's what they did. If it was a carpenter family, that's what they did. So his brothers most likely worked with him. So his brothers ate with him. His brothers learned with him. In fact, his brothers most likely were born a little bit after him. So they saw him learn how to, to put things together. They saw him learn how to make tables and saw wood. They saw him learn how to deal with money. They saw him learn learn and it's very difficult for people to let you lead when they see you learn when they see you in the incubator of life growing it's it's hard for them to break you out into a new season when they saw when you were figuring things out I know <laughs> the brother that makes tables him I know him I can't imagine growing up with Jesus, experiencing him as a, a, just a good big brother, experiencing him as a good carpenter. But God, no, he ain't God. I've seen him his whole life. Here's, here's one of the things that you see in this tension. Jesus, if you know the story of Jesus, he had some hard groups he had to help bring to the faith. The Pharisees, they were the religious ones. They knew the scriptures just as he knew the scriptures. The Sadducees, they knew the scriptures. The Zealots, they were very political. You had the, the people deal with the Roman Empire and you had the kings. All those people were tough groups to come to the faith. But the hardest group to come to the faith was his family. The hardest group was the people that knew him best. Not because Jesus was a new idea, but it's hard to see Jesus the Christ when I've already seen Jesus the big brother. I've already known Jesus in a certain way. It's been said that familiarity breeds contempt. What that means is the people closest to you tend to be the less impressed by you. They see all the nuances. They see all the flaws. And if you understand anything about the Old Testament, when they would read the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, the Christ, they were thinking that this would be a political entity, someone that would cause rule to end from the Roman government. Someone that would be able to, to rule with an iron rod. And as James and his brothers see Jesus, they can't see him as this leader. 
So what would be a way to understand how Jesus encountered his family during his ministry? The word would be embarrassment. They were embarrassed by Jesus. I just want you to sit by that because we are impressed with Jesus. You wouldn't be here if you weren't impressed with Jesus. They were embarrassed by him. Stop doing that. Look look here in Mark chapter three. Jesus has been performing all these miracles and as he performs these miracles, crowds start to gather. And as they gather, Jesus can barely move around. So you know what Jesus decided to do? I'm going to go home. So Jesus goes back to his home and the crowds follow him to his house. Verse 20, it says, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Look at the imagery there. They're so much in a frenzy to see the miracle worker, the teacher. They're not even eating. They, they want Jesus to do something again or teach something again. There's a frenzy outside his home that he grew up in. When his family heard it. Now, what, what do you think they said? The family's on the inside. There's a crowd following Jesus. What do you think they said on the inside? We're so proud of Jesus. Look at this crowd he's created. Look at all those miracles he's performing. Jesus then becomes so popular. No, they didn't say that. Look what they said. First, when the family heard it, meaning they hear the frenzy of the crowd, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. We don't know this Jesus. We've never seen this Jesus. This is not the boy that was raised in this home. You're acting real different out there in them streets, Jesus. And now you're performing miracles. Now you're this teacher. And I want you to notice what his family does when they see him acting differently than how he had acted all his life. It says they go to seize him. The phrasing there is they try to control him, meaning they try to, the, 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 the language would be like taking him back into adoption. In other words, we need to take you back inside and get you in your right mind. Sometimes the people that have seen you the most have the hardest time seeing God in you. And I want you to note that when it says they want to seize him, they're saying you're not the crowds, you're ours. We know you better than they know you. And his family is attempting to give assistance, not realizing that they're actually creating opposition towards God's will. Sometimes families say love, but what they actually mean is control. His family has decided, we are gonna stop you. But what they don't realize is they're actually saying, we are gonna stop you from doing radical things for God. Another thing that happens in his family is in John chapter seven, verse three through five, it says, so his brother said to him, now this sounds nice at first, his brother said to him, this is again, after a bunch of miracles, right? 
leave here and go to Judea, meaning go to a larger region, <laughs> that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. Why would you stay in this little town? You need to hit the big time. More people need to see your works, Jesus. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. Jesus, why are you keeping your miracles a secret? If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, does not that sound like support? No, didn't they, did we read the same thing just now? You are doing great things. Go to Judea. I mean, nobody wants to keep it a secret. Do more so more people see you. Does that not sound like support? Doesn't it sound like you have my back? Doesn't it sound like you actually believe in me? And look at what it says. For even not even his brothers, uh, for not even his brothers believed in him. His brothers said things that sounded like support. But it was really just a means of allowing him to do these things so you can go out there, baby, and go ahead and fail so you can come back home and, you know, do it. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yes, you can do it. Absolutely. But in reality, they didn't believe in him at all. One of the things that I have noticed about most families is that most families have a hard time with hard conversations. And they, they, they flop to one side. We're gonna control you, you're gonna get back home and you're gonna do this today. Or they flop to the other side. They don't know how to talk about it so they just say the things you want to hear. But when you walk out the house, they say everything they actually believe. Most families are really bad at conflict. Most families have a hard time saying hard things. And so we flip to one side, there's control. On the other side, there's this fake support. And Jesus will say in Mark chapter 6, Jesus says it this way. A prophet, Mark chapter 6, verse 4. A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. So look at those three areas. There's three areas, he says. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his household. I want you to notice that what Jesus says there is a prophet is going to get honor. He's going to be honored when he's teaching and leading. He's going to be honored when he does miracles. But there's some people that can never honor him for who he is now. Notice that it doesn't say a prophet will go without love. I'm sure his family loved him, but they couldn't honor him for who he was now. Some of our families are just toxic. That doesn't mean they're not loving. Did I say that? I didn't say that. They care for you, absolutely. but it is hard for them to release you into a new season of growth. And some of us are waiting on validation from our hometown 
our relatives, and our household. And we must realize that our toxic families love to do three things. They love to control, they tend to give fake support, and it's a hard time to show honor, it's a lack of honor. William Barclay said it this way, sometimes we are too near people to see their greatness. Validation is a powerful thing because it tells me you believe in who I really am. You see me for all the things that I can do. You celebrate the wins that I have. And because we've come up in homes where when you walk that first step, Mom or dad or mom and dad said, yay. And within you was embedded a hunger for validation from that group. And some of us, you know, we're rough and tough. We don't need validation. And you can pretend it away. But there is something powerful when the people from your origin story celebrate the things that you're doing. And quietly, we need to admit that we hunger for that validation. But in 2024, I want to give you a word. Some of you have been trying to get validated and celebrated from people that have known you the longest, from people that have seen you the longest. And you're saying to yourself, nah, this is the new me. And then you show them something next year. No, this is the new me. No, this is the new me. This is the new me. And you think something this year will impress them more than last year so they can actually see you for your worth. And I want to encourage you that when you get into that pattern of proving your life, it will cause you to realize that there are some people that they will never actually be able to give you honor. They will never truly be able to validate you. And when you come into a relationship with Jesus, you have to realize that because of his shed blood and his identity on our lives, we no longer need to prove our life. In reality, what we do is we prove his life. And I'm telling you right now that the tension of your life will really be prove my life or prove his life. And you will be running constantly. And there, right now, you see there, I, I mentioned that there are relatives and there's households. But if I were to move that, there's someone right now you are trying to find proof. You're trying to get validation from. It might not be a family member. It might be a friend. It might be a boss. It might be a coworker. But there's someone that you walk in and you're just like that little kid saying, look what I did, daddy. There's someone that you want to be proud of you. There's someone that you want to celebrate you.
And I'm saying to you that there are some people that just don't have it in the tank. That you are trying to drink from a broken cistern that cannot offer you what you are longing for. That they need the validation. And they don't need you to prove your life. They need to see the proof of Jesus' life. The reason why they can't give you the honor is because it's not in them to give it. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? There's some of you, every time you see that person, you're just like. (laughs) And you, and you're performing, and you're just bringing up stuff like, so I got that um, thing, that thing, that thing that I said I was going to get. Yeah, I got it. And, And listen, there's nothing wrong with the desire, but I'm just saying to you, some of you are trying to squeeze validation from people that can never give it to you. I'm saying it's a secret goal in your mind. It's a quiet, it's a quiet, it's a, it's, it's a quiet vision of your life. The reason why that's so important is because some of you are going to accomplish great things and you're still going to need that person's voice to say amen. But the bigger issue is, what if I do prove me to you? Oh, you sure are. Look at you. (laughs) What if I prove me to you? What happens? You walk away impressed. What if I prove Jesus to you? You walk away transformed. I ain't changing you because you think I'm better than what I was last year. What does that do for you? Nothing. It does something for me. No. I want today for you to get off the prove my life train. And I want you to get on the prove Jesus' life train. Because I can, listen, of course, of course, there will always be people that I long to get celebrated from. But I'm saying it's there. We can't deny it's there. It is there. But I just want you to go from wanting it to work, from, from go away from worshiping it to wanting it. And just allow yourself to admit, and I want you to do some work when you walk out of here to think, who are those people that I hunger for their validation? And Lord, I repent. I want to walk away from that lifestyle. And I want to start getting away from trying to prove my life. And I want to prove your life. Jesus knew this because Jesus... You never, you never hear a verse, wouldn't that be wild if there was a verse where it was like, come on, y'all, like to his family, like, come on, y'all, y'all don't really believe I can do this. I'm out here turning water into wine, y'all ain't even really feeling me like that. Like, there's no verse like that. Because Jesus embraces their blindness. I know you don't see me for me. You don't know what God's doing in my life. You are still stuck in big brother Jesus that you can't see Jesus the Christ. I'm going to allow you to be stuck, but you being stuck is not going to make me stop. I am going to be, watch this, I'm going to be who God made me to be. Because, because obedience is my highest aim, not validation. And some of you are slowing down your obedience train 
because you are distracted by human validation. And there are people who you just like, you, you're looking at Jesus, but you're like, fix my eyes on Je and you. Fix my eyes on Jesus and you. So, after all this, his little brother James, and James, from what we can tell, is the second. You know, he's like the second born. So, you know, there's always weirdness there. <laughs> Jesus does eventually go to Judea. Jesus does get hung on a cross. Jesus, from what we understand, if you remember on the cross, Jesus tells Peter to take care of his mother. John, John to take care of his mother. Thank you, Rasul. <laughs> he tells John to take care of his mother. But he has to tell John to take care of his mother because his brother wasn't there. You see, the, the oldest brother would be the one to take care of his mother. But John wasn't at the crucifixion. Why do you think? Because he was embarrassed. Jesus rises from the dead, though. And upon his resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 through 7 goes like this. He appeared to Cephas. Cephas is Peter. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, which is amazing. The resurrected body of Jesus walking around. Most of whom are still alive. And then some have fallen asleep. And then I want you to hear the weight of this verse. Then he appeared to James. And can you imagine that moment when he appeared to James? What do you say to a brother that you've mocked, rejected, that you've abandoned? in his weakest moment. What do you say to big brother James, who now, big brother Jesus, who has a resurrected body? What do you say? He appeared to James. We don't have the verse, we don't have the text, but in my imagination, I can only imagine that James had heard about this resurrection and all of a sudden he appears my brother, you are who you said you were. Those miracles, they were real. What do you think he said next? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you gotta understand, it was so hard to believe in you because I knew you already. I was so familiar with you. I knew you as Jesus, but I didn't know you as Lord. It was so hard for me to see it, but now I've moved beyond you explaining yourself to me and I've now encountered you. And in this encounter, I must admit, you are who you say you are. And James, his brother would go on to become the head of the Jerusalem church. James, his brother, would end up dying for the gospel of Jesus. 
And who does James become after this moment? After being embarrassed, after seeing Jesus, after seeing the resurrection. Look here in James chapter one, verse one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what it took for him to say that? You see, that's why he didn't, he picked that James, not me. Cause I'd be like, James, that's my, that's my brother. We grew up together, you know what I'm saying? I remember. This would be a memoir of our time together. But, but, but I want you to notice when he first, the, the grammatically, we have to understand when he says servant of God and of the Lord, he is combining those two ideas. So when he is describing Jesus, he is also describing God and he calls him Lord. And when we say the Lord, we are talking about the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of the government, the Lord of society and the Lord of our community. But at the end of the day, he's saying he's the Lord of my life. He's in control of my life. And he not only calls him Lord, but I want you to see what he starts off. He says, James, a servant. He's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. It's so significant that he calls himself servant because at that time, the word would be understand, understood as slave. And the, and the idea of being a slave to Jesus is not trying to communicate that I am a coworker with my brother. Well, we're not doing carpentry anymore. He is the Lord and I am his servant. And before I identify myself as any other thing, yes, he was the head of the Jerusalem church. Yes, he was the brother of Jesus, but the way he saw himself now was servant of Jesus. And now, James has decided I will follow my brother wherever he wants me to go. And I will do whatever he wants me to do. So you see for what, what it took for James to go from having an older brother to having the Lord. This morning, as I, as I mentioned, familiarity breeds contempt. And I wanna acknowledge that every Sunday when we come here, we realize that some of you are familiar with Jesus. But I want to acknowledge that just because you've been familiar with Jesus doesn't mean you've become faithful to Jesus. The essence of faithfulness is, I am your servant. I will go wherever you want me to go and you are the Lord and you can lead me wherever you want. And James' life radically changes. And this morning for you, 
how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as this person that has committed to radical obedience no matter what? That is how we need to reconstruct a year where we put right at the top of the year, who are you, servant of Jesus? What's happening in this world? Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of Brooklyn. He is the Lord of Borum Hill. He is the Lord. And you notice how James sees things. I'm, that's the Lord, I'm his servant. And no fluff in the middle. And I wanna acknowledge this beginning in 2024. Lose your validation hunger. Replace it with the identity. Who are you? You are the Lord's. You are his servant. And you will go wherever he wants you to go. You will do whatever he wants you to do. And you will say whatever you want, whatever he wants you to say. Do not be intimidated by radical obedience to live the life that Jesus is calling you to live. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you even now, even now, that you would lead my life in such a way that I would walk away from this message, just keeping in mind that I don't want to just be familiar with Jesus. I want to be faithful to you. God, would you reconstruct the way that I see myself and the way that I see you? For I am your servant and you are the Lord. And Lord, I want to follow you. I don't want to be distracted by these many worlds of validation. I want to be focused on you and you alone. Let you be my validation. And let you be my concentration. I want to focus on you and you alone. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the things that have distracted me. I'm sorry for all the ways that I have gotten people in the way. I don't want to just follow you. I want to be your servant. And so God, help me to see you differently and help me to follow you differently. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 10.30 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.